Hello and welcome to the Interviews Podcast with Peter Hinton, produced by the National Arts Centre English Theatre and coming to you from the Salon of Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. I'm Sean Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the third interview podcast for the 2008-2009 international season. In each episode, we will take you into the intimate world of the artists and creative minds behind the productions on stage at the National Arts Centre English Theatre. In them, Artistic Director Peter Hinton chats with a guest artist associated with the production. In this interview podcast, Peter speaks with Iris Turcott, dramaturg for Ronnie Burkett's Billy Twinkle, Requiem for a Golden Boy that played from November 25th to December 6th here at the NAC studio. For more information about the NAC Theatre Company's production of Billy Twinkle, Requiem for a Golden Boy, please visit www.nac-cna.ca slash en slash theatre slash Billy hyphen Twinkle. And now, here are Peter Hinton and Iris Turcott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Can you hear me okay? Yeah? Uh, Welcome. There we are. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to this afternoon's interview. And um, today we have a very, very special guest, both uh, professionally and personally for me as well. Um, This is Iris Turcott. And I'll tell you a little bit about Iris. Iris is a dramaturg, and for the past 17 years, and we will get to the question, what is a dramaturg? Iris has been the dramaturg at the Canadian Stage Company in Toronto uh, for over 17 years. And uh, that's the personal connection because um, I, in fact, was the person that hired Iris to come and work at the Canadian Stage when I was there, over 17 years ago. And that, in fact, was the last time we worked together side by side and have just sort of followed each other from afar across the country over those years. Prior to Canadian Stage, Iris was a freelance dramaturge, director, and actor. She was the co-founder and co-artistic director of Playbill Theatre. Iris has worked with playwrights from coast to coast in the country including Adam Peddle, Joan McLeod, Michelle Marc Bouchard, Brad Fraser, Judith Thompson, all the lightweights, <laughs> Sunil Kouravia and Thompson Highway. And she's been involved in a number of international co-commissions, in- including projects with the Royal Exchange Theatre in Manchester, the Melbourne Festival and the Abbey Theatre. And she's here today because Iris has been the dramaturge for Ronnie Burkett's internationally acclaimed Theatre of Marionettes. And this is what number of collaboration for you and Ronnie? Fifth or sixth wow. full-time show together. Fifth or sixth full-time show with Ronnie Burkett. So please join me in welcoming this afternoon Iris Turcott. <laughs> okay, it's a question that does get asked all the time. To all people who dabble in the trade, how do you define Iris? What 
is a dramaturg or dramaturge? Just so you guys know, um, the word was not in the uh, Canadian Oxford English Dictionary up until six years ago when the editor called many of us, including me, the people who were dramaturgs, to try to define the word <laughs> because they couldn't, right? Um, the root of the word uh, is German, which literally means dramaturg, worker of drama. Um, sort of the grandfather of dramaturgy was this Lessing guy from the uh, 18th century who was the first guy who was getting a little annoyed at European drama and um, tried to classify drama or figure out how it worked because he actually wanted it to change. Um, basically, there's two kinds of dramaturgies. There's institutional dramaturgy where in Europe the dramaturge is second well, he's the partner of the artistic director advising on programming. In new play dramaturgy, which is what I do mostly, um, it is to inspire, uh, partner, see the world or the possibility, possibilities of the theatrical world through the creator's eyes. So it is, in my opinion, the most intimate relationship you can have with anybody. Huh. outside of husbands and lovers and children. <laughs> and sometimes it's even more intimate than that, right? right. <laughs> because you have to get to know those people so well when you're helping them to bring up safely um, what they need to say, what they want to say, what they want to explore. So you're often the first reader or the first audience for a play with a playwright. So when Judith Thompson or Thompson Highway are working on a play you might be the very first person who's read it other than themselves. Well, and even a lot of people, when we do commissions, or with Ronnie, for example, who you're going to see who's a completely unique artist, um, Ronnie's process is we start, or he, he has some epiphany, or he sees an image or an idea. So we talk for probably six to eight months before he actually puts a word on a page. And in those conversations, are you... Uh, how conscious are you about where do you contribute? Where do you? How do you respond to ideas that are in that formative level of development? Well, we have a pact that we started, you know, about twelve years ago, which is there are. I mean, he has infinite ideas, and his vision is so broad and deep, and he's in, quite mad, and uh, so am I. So our deal was. There are no. You have to say everything. Nothing is wrong. You have to think out of the box. So. He can say one thing and it goes here. So we don't really know. It's all exploration. He doesn't think to record ideas. He thinks to explore. And so through lots of conversations and lots of visual images, and he always starts with a title. So he always had Billy Twinkle, Requiem for From a Golden the Boy. He always starts with a title, and he can't start writing until he sees or imagines or creates the final image of the piece. Okay, let's take a little side post here and tell you guys a little bit about Ronnie Burkett and his theater of marionettes. Uh, for those of you that have seen Ronnie before, you know how unique and spectacular this theater is. And if you haven't, you're really in for a singular experience in the theater in the world. And Ronnie... Uh, has, uh, well, you'll see the show, because there's uh, elements of it that are quite biographical, has been in love with puppets and marionettes in particular from a young man. 
And uh, he, for the last 25 years, I guess, or so, has been creating marionette plays for adults. So the marionettes are fully functional string marionettes, but the plays are for adults. And Ronnie's taken on subjects like the Holocaust, Alzheimer's disease, uh, AIDS, uh, very serious subjects using uh, marionettes to tell those stories. Do you remember the first project you worked on with Ronnie? And how would you describe Ronnie to this group? Well, the first uh, piece of work of his that I saw was Tinka's New Dress, which was uh, part one in the, in the Dress trilogy. And it was about uh, Czechoslovakian puppeteers uh, who were doing underground work um, during, uh, you know, Hitler. And, uh, and I remember walking into the theater and the way uh, he also, Ronnie does everything. He writes, he designs, he makes the puppets, and he performs the piece. His vision has uh, got <laughs> such integrity. He does, it's unbelievable. I remember walking in the theater, and in, in this particular piece, the central set was a functional carousel, you know, a period carousel with all the puppets on it. Yeah. And just thinking I died and gone to heaven because it was so beautiful, and these puppets are individually pieces of art. I mean, even if you take their clothes off, every, you know, toenail, every hair in the armpit is put on individually, every eyelash. I mean, they vary in types, but every single one of these is a piece of art. And I remember standing in that theater alone and, and watching them breathe, and it was terrifying to me because they were, they were alive, and I hadn't even seen the show yet. And then when I saw the show, I was uh, astounded at the life that he could breathe into them while he was performing. Never mind once he breathed into them, these things are alive. So he, it, it, that's what I remember. And then we started to work together and um, figuring out his process, which, you know, uh, when Peter directs, he's got set designers and sometimes a playwright, sometimes he writes the play himself. But, you know, theater's a collaborative art and you're always working with extraordinary artists. But in Ronnie's case, he does everything. I mean, we have a lot of help um, in the studio, in Ronnie's studio, but here's a guy where, you know, every move that, if he chooses that fabric for the puppet's costume, all of a sudden, the text changes because he figured <laughs> something out about that guy, right? Yeah. That character. And vice versa, everything becomes exponentially uh, creative because all of his uh, decisions are connected. So this must make what is already a very intimate relationship of the dramaturg and the playwright to Ronnie Burkett even more so. Yeah, he, he like all great artists, um, works from a place of truth, his own truth. That I mean, this is, Peter's quite correct, I think his most autobiographical show because it is about a little boy who put his finger, you know, at seven years old, which Ronnie did in the dictionary and it came up on Puppeteer. And he just said, that's what I'm doing. And that's what he did. He went into his kitchen, he got a broom and made his mother help him make a puppet and he's been there ever since, right? So what's interesting about him is, is all of his impulses to create come from a, a truthful experiential place that we grapple with. Like when he gets, you know, sort of held captive by an idea that's his or something he's experienced, then it's about discovering how we can find the story 
that supports what he's really trying to say or what he's really trying to explore. But it's always rooted in something very, very, very personal. And then this, you know, array of extraordinary characters starts to emerge. Yeah. And, and that's how we discover the narrative, though. It comes from some thing, sometimes an image, sometimes an event, that he's just got to go on. And is your process with him really a, a series of questions? Do you... It's a series of questions. It's uh, field trips. It's being in the studio a lot. Ronnie's studio is one of the most extraordinary places. Can you describe it for us? When you walk, it's, va- it's about the size of this. Uh, not quite as high ceilings, but what's interesting about it is from the floor up to the top, there's varying sizes of drawers. A lot of them are this big, and they're labeled this big, like marionette sunglasses from 1920. <laughs> He's collected over the course of his career, you know, because oh, it, with puppets yeah. scale things. So if he sees little flannelette cowboy and Indian fabric that happens to be this scale, He's carried around with him. Or when he's in Germany, he sees mohair. He just grabs it. So this place is the most um, organized thing I've ever seen. And it's all miniature. His shop, there's a shop in it. So there's a little bandsaw that's this big. So he's working (laughs) this size, right, with ideas that are this big. So, uh, and this man who, just to give you an idea of what the last three months always is before we get ready to go up, which we just did at uh, Citadel in Edmonton. Um, he's probably in the studio at four in the morning. And the other people, the stringers, the control p- people, the painters, the you know, massive staff to, to build this show come in at about nine. And he's usually there till one in the morning. And then we get on stage and we've never put the whole thing together. And he's been divorced from the, the text, from the part he's performing at this point now for about six months. And then somehow miraculously, he gets on that stage and he knows where to go. And it's so complex, you'll see when you see it, yeah. where to put those puppets. And he's, you know, it's, it's, it brings a new meaning to the word tour de force. That's all I can say. Yeah, it sure does. Um, how is Billy Twinkle... Um, different than other shows of Ronnie's? Billy Twinkle, I think, is the most fragile show he's written. There was, in his other plays, um, he's, a, he's a man who's, who really examines social justice a lot, and he, he, he likes to um, explore the atrocities of the world and ask so why. So they're more overtly political, the other ones? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, they're never didactic because he has such uh, crazy, yeah. wonderful characters. This piece is very fragile. It's, he's extremely uh, emotionally vulnerable in this piece because um, the sort of the... This play, he wanted to actually write a play where he didn't have any puppets. That's where we started with this play. I want to do a one-man show, he says, without puppets. I've had it with these puppets. They're getting on my nerves. I said, <laughs> okay, let's, let's try to do that, right? And you know what? It just, it just wouldn't happen. It, it couldn't happen. Because, you know, obviously, if he was going to write a one-man show about puppeteers, which is where yeah. we started, right? And, and show the world of the real puppeteers and, that he's known. And in this show, too, like, you'll love. You'll Watch meet for them. A, You'll Doreen. see puppets operating puppets. Marionettes so you've got operating marionettes. marionettes. operating other marionettes. 
You have hand puppets operating marionettes. Yeah. Marionettes operating hand puppets. It's crazy. And so when you <laughs> wanted to write this one-person show about puppeteers, it just we went, how can we do that without puppets? It doesn't work, right? <laughs> so he, you know, so he started this piece, which as I said is very personal, and it's very gentle for Ronnie. And because he's mid-career, mid-life, everything, he 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 said, I'm stuck. I mean, that was the premise, I'm stuck. Do I need to look back in order to go forward? And that's where we started and went, yeah, we need to look back to why we felt so passionate about stuff, to reinvigorate ourselves, to recapture the, the joy of why we became artists, which is really what, what the piece is about. So that this little boy that you'll meet, I mean, you'll meet Billy at seven, right up through to 50 and see this extraordinary growth of this character. And by revisiting his own past, this Billy Twinkle, AKA Ronnie in some cases, um, is allowed to move forward, you know? One of the characters, uh, Sid, we won't do any spoiler alerts no, no. or anything like that, we won't give it anyway, but is a kind of mentor to Billy. And I understand there was a figure similar who was a mentor to Ronnie, mm-hmm. who we probably know that mentors puppetry. We do. Um, I won't say his name because I, okay. he's dead anyway. But anyway, I mean, he was, Ronnie had an extraordinary career when he was very young. He was in New York and he worked with some of the most, uh, you know, important puppeteers uh, in, in the English-speaking world. And, um, and that allowed him um, to to become and to to, to uh, tackle some of the challenges, the, the work that nobody else is actually doing in English-speaking puppeteering, yeah, yeah. right? Um, it's actually a composite of a number of people, but you will see the the love um, and the honor and the respect and the the depth of his uh, indebtedness to to um, his the people that inspired him and his mentors. Yeah. And wasn't uh, Ronnie working at that time with uh, the puppeteer who created the Lonely Goat Herd sequence? Yes. From The Sound of Music? And you'll hear references to that. There, there's a, there's a, um, a number of, of, not in-jokes, but references to puppetry stuff that last night at the show, the Ottawa Puppetry Association, oh, I think, gosh, was there. They were and here, yes. So there was these isolated, hysterical bursts of laughter, right, of people that found a joint joke, a puppet joint joke really fu- uh, funny, right? Which everybody else went, what? Right? <laughs> and, you know, and it's, it's extraordinary for me, too, my journey with, uh, with Ronnie, because, I mean, not all of my work is completely text-based. I do opera. I do, you know, all sorts of stuff. But this world, outside of the fact that he's, A, the first puppeteer who's ever been nominated for a Governor General's Award, which is a literary huh, award, yes. right? And gets nominated for his writing and performing all the time. The sheer technical virtuosity of the man doing this, right, is a whole other thing. So half the time when we first started working together, it was like listening to Greek when he was talking about the jointing and the stringing and how you do, I I had no idea. Now these puppets that you'll meet today are mechanical, so their heads are full of mechanical devices to make their eyes move and their mouths move, which, you know, he hasn't done that for a long time. And they're also, you won't believe it when you see them, because up until this, he um, usually carved uh, all his puppets out of wood. 
these are literally paper mache. And when you see them up close, they look like the finest mahogany. So it's uh-huh. layer upon layer upon layer of paper mache. They're, you know, but this kind of stuff, you know, I mean, it was just a fast and furious uh, training for me, right? Wow. But it obviously speaks very highly to your rapport with Ronnie and the skill at what you do that he's uh, so intimately involved you and uh, so many projects. It's amazing to me how there are sometimes only one way to tell a story. The, The sort of perfect marriage of content and form is perfect art. So here's a guy that comes along in my life who, you know, and I thought, puppets, right? You know, I mean... You know, I never liked puppets, right? And then I saw these things, and I went, oh, my God. This is the only way to tell this story. And ironically, um, Ronnie's work has been published, uh, the trilogy, and then Providence uh-huh. and uh, Ten, Ten Days on Earth, which was our last show together. And he's had a lot of requests from directors and actors to perform these as straight plays. And he says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. What he did consent to um, is, I've edited a couple of um, monologue books for for actors, right? He Uh will allow actors to audition with some of his characters' monologues, right? But the world that he creates, it's why he won't have intermissions in his work either. The world is so complete and so perfect, right? That once you're in that world, he won't let you out till the show's done just won't, right? So, and that's why, I mean, you can't believe what you see. It's true. And it's three-dimensional. Uh, it's not, uh, uh-huh. yeah, it's unbelievable. We have some time here to uh, field some questions from the audience, if you have them, for the next 10 minutes or so. so yes. I'm just wondering, with <clears throat> all the energy of creativity and personally designing and making the puppets and their costumes, um, what does he do with them after? They must be very huh. real to him. Okay, the question was, with all of the energy and creativity put into the creation of the puppets, uh, what does Ronnie do with them after these shows? And uh, they must be very real to him. It's a, it's a really interesting question and one that he grapples with all the time. Um, he won't let anybody else use them. He will brook no sorcerer's apprentice. Claudia Buckley, who used to be here at the county council and... Uh, the head yeah. of the county council, um, was adamant uh, a few years ago that we had to find the funding to build a wing in the museum up here in Ottawa to house these puppets uh, because each individual one is a piece of art. And, um, and he doesn't want them uh, separated, right? Because they're a family and they belong together. And I can't tell you the pain and grief um, the, the show Street of Blood, which is um, about a character named Edna Rural, who is um, this wonderful lady who um, uh, was HIV positive from a blood transfusion in, in, the, in, the, in the world of this play. And um, when we put that show to bed, so to speak, um, they're all beautifully wrapped up and put in boxes. And everyone loved her so much. And when we... And, and the play actually was uh, based on uh, the five stages of grief. And so it was a play about how we grieve. 
And when Edna was put to rest, so to speak, it was like a death. And she's, she's um, stored away with her family, of that, that particular family, um, and they're, they're there. And he, you know, I mean, he's had so many requests from museums and artists to buy his puppets and stuff, and it's something we're still grappling with, right? Because I do believe um, he's a national treasure, and, you know, it's like, it's not like a painter who does that painting and that painting. You know, painters will do series, and they must stay together. I feel really strongly that these pieces have to stay together and his body of work has to stay together. So, you know, it's something that we talk about all the time. I, d I just, I don't know what we're going to do, right? So we're just going to wait and then maybe Claudia <laughs> Buckley will come back and raise the money. Maybe not, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Has his work uh, been filmed or recorded in any way? Has Ronnie's work been filmed or recorded in any way? The National Film Board did... Um, a documentary about 10 years ago, which is quite good that I, you know, I think you can get. Um, he has some archival stuff, but it's, it's even stranger to see it oh, is that right? on, on film and video as opposed to just straight actors. It, they just, uh, it, it actually it deadens them in a, in a sense that, you know, the, when yeah. we do archival yeah. videos for live actors, right? Yeah. Um, but this documentary is very informative and, they, and it's well edited and, it, you know, great interviews with, with Ronnie. Great, yeah. Has he ever done a show without marionettes or from what you know of him? Do you think he would actually be able to do one and be able to completely keep him out of his work? Could Ronnie do a show without marionettes? Has he ever done it before? Well, Ronnie was at the Shaw Festival uh, for, I think he only lasted one season. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I mean, he's a, he's a consummate actor, as you'll see. I mean, here's a guy that does dialogue so fast, playing 15 characters. You, you can't believe how he does this, right? So he could, oh my God, he can stand up and entertain you for hours, right? I mean, he used to, up until um, Happy, he was known for having um, sort of, sections of improvisational pillars in each play. So he would, you know, there'd be the script, but there'd be this, now I'm just going to rift on what's happening today through one of my marionettes or, in fact, just Ronnie. And don't let your cell phone go off with him in the audience because he, he breaks the fourth wall all the time. I mean, that's the nature of his performance anyway. I mean, he, he will just, he, he'll just go at you. But he used to do something called the Daisy Plays in Edmonton, after-hour stuff, where he would just get up with any puppet, or that glass could be a puppet for him. He can turn anything into a puppet, and just go. Um, he's completely capable of handling an audience for five hours. I've seen him do it. And they thought it went by like that. Oh. Anyone else? Yes. Lynn. I knew it was okay, going to happen. Okay, here we go. Lynn Slotkin, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so Lynn's question is, if there's something in the script that Iris felt should be edited out and Ronnie disagreed, what's that negotiation? What's that process? Um, it is particularly difficult with Ronnie's work because, as you will see, when you have a cast of characters... Uh, in excess of, you know, or 30 puppets on stage, let's say, right? 
so that you're doing a scene like this and then you've got to lose that puppet to get that puppet and that puppet's up there and that's down there. You're dealing with transition in a very different way than you are with, you know, with texted work and live actors who can kind of fill subtextually, right? You've got a bare naked man on stage with his hands and puppets. Um, he and I, I mean, Ronnie's, we, we've had some battles um, because uh, my question to him is always, um, how long does it take to, to get the point across here, right? Um, we, we, we tried a new way of working on uh, our last play, which was 10 Days on Earth, and I was very, very, very um, harsh about how many characters, the amount of time we were spending, and, um, and trying to make the story, because it was about a mentally challenged man, so there was a lot of air in the piece to try to balance out the text and the music of the scenes, and I think quite successfully. But but we 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 have we have battled on that quite a bit. Um, partly because Ronnie, strangely enough, doesn't trust sometimes the strength of his own writing. And I will say to him, Ronnie, look at that metaphor. Look at that image. It's so powerful. You can't say anything after that. People will be in that moment. It's beautifully articulated or realized. And you know what? Part of the process with Ronnie, as opposed to a guy who's just writing the play, who can sit back and hear actors perform it, and then I'll say, listen to this, and I'll take out the paragraph or I'll, you know, yeah, he reorder it. He never gets that He never gets that yeah. opportunity. Uh -huh. So it's very, very difficult because he's inside it. And I can't get, I, you can't get him to step out. It's impossible. So, I mean, as much work, you know, with this particular script, um, we did a week workshop in Toronto uh, a year ago where it was all, only about editing and reordering, and then we did another workshop with the composer where we were doing timings and we did some more tweaking and looking at lyric and doing all that stuff, and then another pass. But at a certain point, because the physical elements in Ronnie Burkett's work are so um, demanding, and timing and transitions are just a different, it's a different world than just yeah. having human actors up there. Yeah. So it's tough. He's, he's, it's the toughest. It's amazing how you're reminded of the puppets and you forget the puppets. Totally. And at one point I'm watching the show the other night and you'll see on the set there are <clears throat> these gaps in the floor that Ronnie has to make these deft little leaps over and I'm going... They should fill in those gaps. No, nope. it's not safe. Well, they need them to get the strings of the puppets through, <laughs> and you forget. You, no, it's absolutely. so effortless. We've got time for one more question. One more. Just when you were mentioning that he will even um, make the puppets and put the hairs in himself, that reminds me a bit of Ron Muick, who makes those huge, lovely. Uh, oh yes. Mm -hmm. But he goes big, usually, Ron does. And Ronnie Burkett goes small. But mm -hmm. there must be some, because they're both very talented. Mm -hmm. Just wondering if there's a connection between the visual sculptor artist Ron Mulek and Ronnie Burkett. And you remember the Ron Mulek sculptures that were in the National Gallery that are very real and large? Well, I think that the, the connection is, and, you know, the specificity of each of these puppets their lives are so complete. They all have histories. And like I said, he agonizes. I mean, I can remember, you know, I guess in, in September, you know, spending 20 minutes going back and forth looking at that plaid, which <laughs> has, 
like one blue stripe as opposed to that plaid for Doreen's pu- Doreen, oh. who you'll meet, the puppeteer, her little shorts, right? And 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 knowing that that color, right, is to him, right, is going to have a huge impact because how would Doreen buy those? Would Doreen buy those in Zellers? And how much could you afford to pay for them? So the specificity around the choices that he makes is one of the reasons why these characters are so richly brought right. to life because he's imagined their entire psyche, their spirituality, their clothes, their underwear, whether they have pubic hair or not. I mean, it's <laughs> extraordinary that he, he is all those guys. So when you are that specific about something, you are bound to delve so deeply that the universal... Uh, source and soul of that character is, is going to come out in a really, uh, you know, finely detailed, articulated way. And I think right that's uh, the source of his genius for the most part. Right on. Well, uh, we want to make sure you get time to get to the theater to see that. Uh, please join me in thanking Iris Turcott for speaking with us today. Thank you. That's all for the third Hinterviews podcast of the 2008-2009 season. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to hinterviews at gmail.com. That's H-I-N-T-E-R-V-I-E-W-S at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash podcasts. There you will find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Hinterviews. If you'd like to stay in touch with news and updates from the NAC English Theatre, sign up for a free e-bulletin by visiting www.nac-cna.ca slash email alerts. That's E-M-A-I-L-A-L-E-R-T-S. You can also find us on Facebook. Become a fan of the NAC English Theatre on Facebook by entering NAC English Theatre into the search bar. Until next time, this is Sean Fitzpatrick for Peter Hinton and Company saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa.
Thank you.